In 500 BC, there was this philosopher, and his name was Heraclitus of Ephesus. And he, he made this statement, or there's this quote that's attributed to him, and that is that change is the only constant. Anybody heard that? Change is the only constant. And actually, he said it a little bit differently. He said, everything changes and nothing remains still. You cannot step twice into the same stream. He was known as um, the weeping philosopher, actually, which I guess he was pretty depressed, maybe because he realized change is the only constant. I don't know. Um, But for Bible nerds, he also popularized the concept of a universal force or power which governed the universe. And he called that the logos or the word. And you remember that if you were here as we started this book. That is a phrase that John, actually, the apostle... John, uh, he famously opens his account of Jesus' life, the Gospel of John, with this popular phrase, clarifying then in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That Jesus is the creator who created through whom everything came into being and who holds everything together. Now, Heraclitus, Heraclitus, change is the only constant. Anybody feel like that is true in life? I think so. Um, and have you noticed how you can't stop change? Like sometimes you, you want to. Um, my kids are growing so fast. I mean, it's so strange, like picking your, your kid up at youth group because it just feels like a minute ago when they were that tall, you know? And now they're in middle school. My daughter um, is approaching tween years and it's just like, you know, she sits on my lap and she's so big now, you know, and I'm just like, you're not always going to come sit on my lap. She was in the shower earlier and you could just hear her belting out. Um, we don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) And if you have a little girl, you know that song. Um, if you don't, don't watch in, what is it? Thank you. Encanted Encanto, or you'll get that song stuck in your head for like weeks. Um, but like I look at my kids and it feels like I, I just, I want to hit pause, slow down, you know? But I can't, right? Because things just change. Have you noticed that every time you, you, you feel like you have life figured out, it changes? You know, sometimes change is really unpredictable in life. How about March 2020? Anybody see that one coming? And the next two years? No? Um, some, but... but Many times you actually see change coming in life, right? But I find it interesting that even when you can see change coming in life, it, it often catches us off guard. Have you noticed that? Like, you know it's coming and still it catches you off guard. I see that with, with my kids, you know. You, you, you know their birthdays are rolling around. You're watching the calendar and you're like, whoa, how did that happen, right? Um, every year... It's like the seasons change and it catches us off guard. Oh, it's so cold. Or now it's like getting warm, right? Although I hear there's a big storm coming this week. So we're going to get another taste of winter. Um, But isn't that funny? Like every year, about the same time, plus or minus a week or two, the seasons change. And yet it still catches us off guard, doesn't it? In fact, some of you, you've, you've, had a, uh, you've flooded your roof because seasons change. You're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And you forgot to disconnect your swamp cooler line. Now, I forgot mine this year, and we had a flood, and that was not pleasant. Um, the living room is still gutted. We're getting there. We're getting there. But 
even though you know it's like it comes every year. It's getting warmer, right? It's getting colder. It still seems to catch us off guard. And when it comes to our faith, I think um, whether it's predictable change that we can see coming or unpredictable times of change, for many times it's in these seasons, in these times of change, when, when actually a lot of people find doubts rising up in their heart. And it's during these times that a lot of people actually end up either walking away or drifting away from Jesus and finding them in a, in a place where their relationship with God, either they kind of abandon following Jesus at all, or they just look up and, and they've drifted so far away from intimacy with, with Jesus and, and prioritizing walking with Jesus in their lives. In fact, I'm willing to bet if we went around and we shared stories that some of your stories, we'd have a good number of stories in the room that would in, include a period of time where you walked away from, from your faith in a time of change in your life. And for some of you, actually, um, you're just re-engaging in your faith after maybe years, maybe for some decades where you've been away. You haven't been following Jesus. And for some, there's a lot of stories of regret that go along with that, of wasted time, of time that you weren't serving, you weren't following Jesus. And I think we're going to look at one little question that I think today, if we could really pause when we find ourselves in these times of change and we could ask ourselves and remind ourselves of, of how um, true this question is. And if we could really be honest in those times, I think it actually it would help us recognize these times in our lives. And in the midst of that, it, we would have the potential of saving ourselves years of regret. And so if you have your Bibles, you can start turning over to John chapter six, and just to remind you where we are in the account of John's and Jesus' life that John writes here. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, which actually, like we've been looking at, was like 15 or 20,000 because they only accounted for the men in, in, the, uh, in the text. And the crowd, right after this incredible, incredible um, sign that Jesus gives that's meant to point them, to make them think of manna in, in the exodus and the provision of God during Passover, because this is the Passover season. The crowd, they see this and they just go crazy. And they come and they're going to take Jesus and, and it's their intention to take Jesus and make him king by force. Hey, they're going to throw him up on their shoulders, parade him in and make him king. He's going to be the revolutionary leader that's going to kick out Rome. And Jesus, this was not the will of the father. This was not the timing of the father. And so Jesus actually withdraws to a mountain and he sends his disciples in a boat across the, uh, the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. Let me just say, when they came to make Jesus a king, his disciples would have been totally okay with that. Like, that was their agenda. That's what they actually wanted. If you're like the close inner circle with the king, you're going to be somebody, aren't you? And so that's, that's what they wanted. That was their expectation. And the crowd, that was their expectation of what a Messiah figure would be. And so the crowd... After uh, Jesus sends his disciples back across the lake, the crowd begins searching and looking, and they realize, like, the disciples left, and Jesus went up this mountain to pray, as he often did. He got alone with his father and, and prayed and spent time alone with God, and then he takes the uh, top-of-the-water express, like only Jesus can, and uh, catches up with the disciples on their way back across the lake late that night. 
And the next day, the crowd actually finds Jesus. They catch up with them. And they're like, hey, Jesus, show us another sign. We want more. And Jesus said, yeah, I know what you really want. You want another free lunch. You liked that all-you-can-eat buffet. You want another all-you-can-eat buffet. That's what you're wanting, I know. And then Jesus launches into this teaching moment. We looked at that last week because what this whole chapter of John is doing is it's framing the celebration of Passover, which is one of the central things in, in the annual calendar of the Jewish people. And it's framing it and showing how Jesus is there as the fulfillment of Passover. That's what Jesus is doing, but it's going right over their heads, right? And Jesus launches into this t- teaching moment where he's like, I fed you bread over there on the other side of the lake, but now you're hungry again, right? They're like, yeah, give, do it again. We want more bread. And that is actually what we looked at last week. That's the nature of all things that promise to bring you satisfaction in life. They end up leaving you hungry, don't they? All things other than, than the true source. And this is the point Jesus is getting at. And he says, I am the one who can give you the real bread from heaven, the bread that really satisfies And at that point, the people are like, yeah, give us that bread. Always give us that bread. And Jesus is like, no, you're still not getting it. You misunderstood the point of manna, the ancestors back. It wasn't just about physical sustenance. You're misunderstanding what I'm saying. The true meaning of Passover is all about me. And it's all about what I'm about ready to do for you when I give my life on the cross. And then Jesus makes what's an absolutely shocking statement in this culture because they're still not getting it. They're like, we want the bread. Give us more bread. Yeah, we'll have that bread. And he looks at him and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And this is absolutely shocking to them. And that's where we pick up the text in verse 41. It says this, at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? They're like, Jesus, we, we know you're from Nazareth, right? And um, you were a good kid growing up, but uh, your brothers, eh, not so much, right? We know who your brothers are. And we know, we, you know, we know that kind of shady story about uh, your parents, you know, before you were born, um, it says like, how can he say I'm the bread that comes down from heaven? And Jesus said, stop grumbling among yourselves. And when John uses this word grumbling, it's supposed to bring your mind back to Exodus, to the people of Israel grumbling, because the point John's making here is in Jesus is that there's a new Exodus happening. Like the new deal is here. What you need to be, you need to be a wide awake and paying attention right now. And so Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at that last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. And I love this, and I just want to kind of go on a bunny trail for just a minute, because um, if if you read that verse, you're like, oh, wow. So... There's this big debate for thousands of years in, um, in the church. Calvin, anybody heard of a guy named Calvin? Yeah, and there was this, so there's Calvinism and Arminianism, right? 
And the one side, and, and there's all these different arguments, but basically uh, when it comes to this, it's like, well, do, do we choose to follow God or does he just like draw, draw us and we can't help it and we just follow him? And uh, we have a saying around here. I wanted to highlight this because it's one of our values and that's this, that we're lifelong learners. And what we mean by that is um, we hopefully we're always going to be learning things and we never stop learning, right? Um, but also what we... What, what we think about when we think about certain like arguments like this in the scope of, of Christianity and the church, we have a saying, and that's smarter people than us have been arguing about things like these for thousands of years. Like people a lot smarter than me have been arguing about these. And we know um, we're going to spend eternity with each other who disagree on some of these things that, you know, aren't essential to salvation. And so it's probably a good idea that we learn how to fellowship and get together now, right? And so as a church, some of these things we hold kind of lightly, which means, hey, uh, you could probably be from either persuasion and, and fellowship here and be okay here because these, these are one of the things that we kind of hold lightly. Now, I'll tell you my opinion if you want to hear it. Okay. And that's this, as I've studied through the whole council of scripture, you, you see passages like this where it's like, it, it is God drawing, right? But then you see so many other passages and verses like where, where we're told that the will of the Father, that God's will is that none should perish, right? And then you see, choose you this day whom you'll serve. And these, this concept over and over. And so the Hebrews had um, a concept they called block thinking that's very different from our very linear thinking. And that is two things that are seemingly in opposition um, can be held in tension with each other. And so it's like, okay, from one angle, maybe as you come back through the door, you walk through that door and you look back and it, and it says, I chose you. But as you're facing that door, it says, choose you today, whom you're going to serve. And see, for a Jewish person, they can do that. For us, it's kind of hard because we're so linear, right? And the, and the question is, do you think you, you as a finite human being can fully comprehend the ways of an infinite God? And that's why we hold a lot of these things, you know, when it comes to other things, Bible translations, um, some specifics of end times theology, we hold them loosely with open hands, right? I don't claim to have it all figured out. We're lifelong learners. But what I do know is over and over and over again, you see God saying, choose if you're going to follow me. What are you going to do? Are you going to follow? Choose you this day wh whom you will serve. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. So that's my bunny trail, okay? All right, moving on. Verse 46. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here, as he points to himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is speaking on such a different plane and a level, and they just don't get it, right? It says, verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? <laughs> See, they're only, they're thinking on like physical 
they're thinking just right here, right now. You want to hear a cannibal joke? I've got a good one. Why not? We can edit it out for Sunday morning if we need to, you know? So a missionary and, a, and uh, like a priest and missionary um, and uh, pastor, I can't remember, we'll just make it up. Uh, they get captured by cannibals on an island and they haul them off and they're all scared and they put them in a pot and they light the fire under the pot, you know? And, uh, and the missionary's just laughing. He's over there just chuckling. <laughs> and the guy's like, why are you, we're, we're about ready to be martyrs, why are you laughing? And he said, I just peed in their soup. So, edit? Okay, we'll edit that out. <laughs> Boo. That's a dad joke right there, so. But they're just, they're arguing because this is like <laughs> offensive. Thank you. Thank you. It's just offensive to them. It's weird, right? And then Jesus, instead of like, you know, bringing it down a little bit. He just ramps it up. Check out what Jesus says next. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And some of you, you grew up in Sunday school just with like the flannel graphs and it's like, they never taught this. You're like, Jesus said that? That's why you should read your Bible. <laughs> Jesus, because this is shocking. And it's, I mean, it's weird now to read these words, isn't it? And, and here's the thing, like if you grew up in church, we have a reference and a context because we're looking at the scripture and this teaching of Jesus post the cross, right? And so we understand what he's talking about in, in the fact that he is saying, hey, I am initiating a new covenant where it's my body that's going to be given. And we're going to have a, a new way of remembering the sacrifice together. Like the, the whole meaning of Passover that you've celebrated for the last um, 1,500 years is going to shift because it was all pointing towards me. We're going to draw out the meaning in a whole different way, right? We understand this more through the context of the cross. And yet, as I read those words, they still feel kind of weird and shocking, don't they? Kind of hard. And what you have to understand is to this culture, as weird and as shocking as they might sound to our ears, uh, we at least have this understanding of, of the deeper point Jesus is making. And, and you know, we have um, the Lord's Supper that we celebrate every month here together as we remember this, right? And so we have a context and a reference for this um, to a people who they couldn't even touch dead things or they'd be ceremonially unclean and like any consumption of blood was completely off limits, right? They didn't have like all the blood sausage and cheese, like they weren't German. Um, my family was German growing up. And, well, I guess they still are, so... We didn't, we didn't graduate out of that one. <laughs> Sorry. I just throw myself off sometimes. Uh, so, so anyway, like to their culture, it's just like, Jesus, what are you saying? What are you doing? This is so offensive. And I think the disciples, like the, inner, the 12 are over here going, come on, Jesus, what are you doing? We need the crowd on our side. 
Oh, Jesus, we were so close to them making you king. That was like what we wanted, because when you're king, we're going to be big shots, right? They're so close, and now you're driving the crowd away. You're freaking them out. Jesus, why don't you just go back to talking about that, like, you know, um, blessed, the meek shall inherit the earth. That sermon, they loved that sermon, Jesus. They love that, the poor, the crowds, they love that. Meek shall inherit the earth, or, or love one another. Or don't judge me, bro. That one, oh man, everybody loves that one, right? Go back to that. Tell some parables. I mean, nobody really understands them, but at least they're interesting. We like listening to them. But why do you got to just be, why do you got to freak everybody out? Why do you got to go this direction with it? Verse 57, Jesus goes on. He says, just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? His disciples, many of his disciples at this point are like, I don't think so. You just pushed me out of my comfort zone. Uh, I don't get it. I mean, this is too weird. This is too challenging. Verse 61 says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. See, he's trying to get to the deeper things. I'm talking on a different plane here, guys, and you're not getting it. The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled them. He recognized that. In fact, at the end of this chapter, and when I'll just say it quickly now, he, he tells the 12, hey, I've chosen you. Have I not chosen you? The 12, yet one of you is a devil. And he was speaking of uh, Judas Iscariot, the one who would later betray him, right? Is verse 66. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, this is a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Remember, Jesus had the 12, the, the inner circle, and then out of those 12, three of them that he was really close with. But then he had a larger group of disciples. Remember, in, in one of the other Gospels, it tells us about when he sent out the 70. So he had a group of 100-plus people that kind of followed him around and went everywhere with him. People that wanted to be in the circle around him, learning from him, seeing the awesome, amazing things he did. And yet, this was challenging. This pushed him out of their comfort zone. And in this moment, then, Jesus, um, with this teaching of Jesus, they, they begin to walk away. I think the inner, the inner circle, the 12, they're, they're, they're sitting there. They're, they're watching the crowd start peeling off to the, to the sides, you know, and kind of go off the back, shaking their heads and grumbling. And 
And then they, they begin to watch even some of the disciples, you know, these people that have been around a lot. This 100, 110 people. Some of those, they start peeling off, shaking their heads, walking away. And the inner 12 are, are just sitting there. Probably thinking, I don't think this is going to end well for Jesus. Or for us. I'm not sure I want to be this close to Jesus. Maybe I need a little bit of distance between Jesus and I. I, I think they're starting to think, I, I don't know, should, should I keep following Jesus? Is it maybe time to, to stop? Like, is there an inconspicuous way to, to bail out, to sneak out the back here without Jesus seeing? I remember when my girl was little. Um, you remember your kids, if you have kids, uh, they, when they wouldn't sleep and they were terrified or scared at night and you'd go in there and I'd go down and I'd kneel by her bed and, and I'd sing, like I'd sing and usually like rubber back. And, and when they're really little, you do this. And then um, what I would do, because you wanted to be free, um, <laughs> you're just trying to like, go to sleep, kid, right? But that never works. So I'd like, hey, this thing, and i just start being quieter and quieter, right, and quieter, and then you'd stop, and then you'd like slowly start sneaking out the door, and as soon as you get to the door, it's like, daddy, and it's like, no, start the whole thing over again, right? And they're sitting there going, how do we bail out without anybody realizing it? How do we get out of this situation we're in? And then Jesus, who knows people's hearts, he turns to them, and I think he exposes exactly what they're all thinking. I love it when Jesus does this all throughout the Gospels. He, like, totally busts people where they're at. He turns, and he looks at the 12, and he asks them this question. You do not want to leave, too, do you? Awkward. Like, it just got Awkward. Like, hey, you're out here with the rest of these guys and they're peeling off. Um, do you guys want out too? And see, I think this is so applicable to, to us because uh, we have all had or will have moments where we're tempted to stop moving towards Jesus, where we're tempted to stop following Jesus, to quit following him. We're tempted to hit that like unfollow, right? You got that person on social media and they just keep posting those things and you're like, unfollow. Or I'll snooze you for 30 days. Unfollow. I'm just kind of done with you. See, I, I think there's key times of our lives when actually we are tempted to quit following him. Sometimes really for, for a lot of people, there's times when we're tempted to quit following him altogether. Where we begin to question, we begin to doubt, we become disillusioned. And we wonder, is it even worth following Jesus? Is he even really there? Does he even really care, Right? And then sometimes it's, it's I'm going to quit following Jesus in a specific area of my life. Like, I know what Jesus is calling me to do. I know what the will of God is in this area of my life, but I'm just not going to go there. It's, it's too inconvenient. It's, it's too hard. There's many seasons. There's key times. And I think times when we find ourselves going through change in life are some of these moments that we have to be very aware of this. If you, if you have something to take notes, you may want to write these down. They're not on the screen. Um, but just to be aware of, one of these times is, is in a change of seasons, change of life seasons. 
This is like when you're going from high school to college, or maybe you're going from middle school to high school, or you're going from college to a new first job, and you're, you're moving to a new city, and suddenly you're surrounded by people who don't believe what you believe or hold the values that you hold anymore. And it's really tempting, and it's really easy just to go, yeah, maybe it's just not worth following Jesus in this moment anymore. There's so much pressure to, to, you know, go do things that maybe weren't part of your value system as you grew up, but it's so easy to sort of let that slide because you're around new people. It's, it's a season of change, right? Maybe it's, a, you know, it's in a, in, in a new classroom environment or college and you got a new professor who's really smart, right? And they keep asking these questions that you don't know the answer to. And in that moment, it's really easy for people to shift and go, well, I, I don't know. Um, this, maybe this isn't true, right? And let me just say, if uh, you find yourself in that kind of circumstance, it's, uh, it, it's really important to pay attention because um, just the fact that you don't know the answer to the question doesn't mean there aren't good answers to the question. And as I've studied uh, evidences for our faith for years, let me just say, I believe there are great answers to all the questions that your professors might be posing to you. You just haven't encountered them. So, uh, you know, be cautious. Don't, don't walk away. Don't quit on, click unfollow and walk away from your faith just because you find yourself in the season of change and you're in a circumstance where you don't know the answer. Just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean there's not great answers, right? Sometimes these are new seasons. You know, you're in a new relationship, maybe newly married, or, or you're newly single. Maybe you're, you're a new, new empty nester. And what you find in these, in these new areas, these new, new seasons, as seasons change and you, your circumstances change, it's so easy for, for what you held as so vital to your heart and to your life and to your soul um, to get left behind for you to look up and it's not convenient anymore. These people, I, you know, the people I'm around, it's just not a, a big deal. Maybe it's like faith just isn't even on their radar. So seasons of change are one of those times. Another one is, is when you have a change in, in temptations you're facing. Because I think at different stages in life, like there's different struggles we face and there's different temptations we face. And for some, it's like, I'm just so lonely. And, and then somebody comes into your life and you're like, wow, he's such a great guy. Or she's, she's such a great girl, but she doesn't really follow Jesus. And it's in those times when you have to look up and go, okay, well, I, I know what the scripture says. I know what, what the will of God is in this circumstance. And yet it's so hard. It's so inconvenient. It's hard to wait, right? On God in this circumstance. And, and before you know it, I mean, so many times, like, you're in love, you're in a relationship. And for so many people, it's in those moments where they, they end up just kind of checking out, quit following Jesus. Not because they woke up and said, I don't believe it anymore, I don't trust the scriptures, but because they found themselves in a lifestyle that, that there's a cognitive dissonance that they know I can't keep living this lifestyle because I know I, I just feel this conviction around it, so I'm going to change what I believe instead of change my, the way I behave. 
And so many times that's where people find themselves when it comes to following Jesus in their lives. Now, let me just say, if that's painful for you or if, if you're someone who's in a relationship, you know, and, and, and you look back and, and there's a pain point there because you are with someone who's not following Jesus or maybe you've come to, began to follow Jesus since then, just hang in there. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep trusting. I've seen God move in people's lives in this kind of situation. I've got a family member that this happened. And man, when, when God got a hold of my uncle, it was powerful. But it took a long time and it took a lot of faithfulness, right? But, but sometimes it's that change. It's, it's new struggles. It's new temptations, right? Sometimes it just changes um, for the better or for the worse. Like, you don't think about this, but sometimes it's, it's good things that are packed into your life. And in the midst of good things, just like when, when the people of Israel are coming out of the desert and going into the promised land, God says, hey, you're about to experience a season of abundance in your life, and do not forget, don't start thinking it's all dependent on me, that I got myself here. No, don't forget that it was me who gave you all these things. Don't forget your reliance on me. Don't forget your trust in me. Because it's so easy, as soon as we have something and we've made it or, or we're in a new season, um, it's so easy to then look at these things that we have and begin to, for there to be a subtle shift in our heart that I did this and I have to like tighten my hands around this and hang on to this because I created this instead of trusting God. And in those seasons, to quit following Jesus where he may be asking you to live generously or quit following Jesus where he may be asking you to take a risk or quit following Jesus where he may be asking you to make a move. For some, it's just like it's good things, but your life got so packed full of good things, the changes, like you, you had a, a sustainable pace of life and all of a sudden you're just a taxi driver driving your kids 18 different directions and before you know it, life is just so crammed full of good things that you've totally lost sight of uh, somewhere along the way you just drifted. And there's no intimacy with God. You really, if you, if you stop and examine your life, it's like, I'm, I'm really not living for Jesus. That's the last thing on my mind. And sometimes it's in those times of abundance. They're actually like things you would say, this is what I wanted. I got what I wanted. Sometimes it's, it's times when, when change comes for the worse. And you got a health diagnosis that you weren't expecting or, or somebody that you prayed for, they didn't make it. And you begin to question and, and experience this disillusionment with God and, and go, why God? And before you know it, uh, you look at the circumstances of your life and go, why isn't it going in my life like it is in my, my brother-in-law's life and my sister's life? And, and you begin to conclude God either must not be there or he must not care. A disillusionment that ends up contributing to doubt. And then those times when you find yourselves in a season where things have changed, it's so easy for people to find themselves just drifting away. And here's the thing. If you haven't experienced a moment like this in life already, the chances are at some point you will, because we all do. And the encouraging thing in, in, in this is to realize that Peter and James and John and Matthew, like, some of the guys who were the closest to Jesus also experienced this moment where they were tempted to walk away. 
where they were wondering, is it worth it to follow Jesus or is what Jesus asking of me just not worth it? And so Jesus asked them, do you guys want to leave as well? And can you imagine how awkward that pause was? Because you know better than to lie to Jesus because he just reads your thoughts, right? (laughs) So I think everybody's just looking down sheepishly. It's just like awkward silence. And then Peter, who just has such a mixed record when it comes to opening his mouth, (laughs) he asks... He asked Jesus this amazing question. Pay attention to this question. Because I think if we're wise, we'll let this question sink into our hearts and our minds, and we'll remember it the next time we're in one of those seasons we just talked about. Verse 68 says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Jesus is like, you guys want to go too? And I think Peter's there and he's looking at him. He's like, Lord, uh, you know everything inside. I'm not going to lie to you because <laughs> you know what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> but you know everything inside of us is screaming out like, walk away, run away. But Lord, who, do, who, who should we go to? Like, who do we go to? And Peter recognized something in this moment that most people don't recognize until too late until they're filled with regrets. And that is if you choose not to follow Jesus, you are automatically choosing to follow someone or something else. So we think it's just like, I'm, I've been following Jesus, so I'm just going to quit for a while. No, you're, you're choosing to follow something or someone else. And the whole point of this, like, when, like, when it's, like what we talked about last week, the satisfaction in life and fulfillment that you're looking for, um, what happens in our heart is we think, well, it's over here I'm going to find this, not following Jesus. And so many people make that choice of, okay, in this area of my life or in this season, I'm going to check out, I'm going to go this way, or we just drift into it. And we find ourselves serving things that ultimately don't bring joy, do not bring fulfillment or satisfaction in our lives that lead to regret and pain. And Peter's like, hey, if we don't follow you, who are are we going to follow? If we don't serve you, who are we going to serve? What are we going to serve? We're not comfortable right now. No, this is really uncomfortable, and we don't get it. This is so much different than we thought when you first said, follow me. We thought we would be, a, you know, like things would be a little different right now. We're watching everybody peel off. But I think Peter, if he was here today, he, he would say to you, hey, in those times of change, when you just aren't sure if, if it's worth it to say yes to Jesus, you actually need to ask yourself and wrestle this. Well, well who or what are you going to serve that's going to bring more fulfillment, more value, or eternal significance? in your life. Realize that by choosing not to follow Jesus, you're choosing to serve or follow something else, someone else. There was a great theologian that lived a while ago. His name was Bob Dylan. Oh, that's a joke. He was like before my time, but he was quite a songwriter. Not a great singer, quite a songwriter. I like old music. Um, but he wrote the song, and, and he said, you got to serve somebody. Like everybody. 
You got to serve somebody. Doesn't matter how rich, how important you are, you got to serve somebody. Do you really think there's something or someone more worthy of serving than Jesus? Like yourself, your agenda? Is that really worth it? And listen to what Peter says next. I'm going to read the whole verse over. He says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Who can offer what you offer, Jesus? Yes, it's hard, and yes, sometimes my will bumps up against the will of Jesus, and I have to choose, am I going to follow myself, or am I going to follow Jesus in this situation in my life? What's more worth serving? What can offer what Jesus offers? Peter's like, what can offer what you do? We were out fishing, which was a good job. It's a good job, and hey, you get to fish, right? That's cool. We we were out fishing, but then you came along and you invited us into something amazing, something so much bigger than our tiny lives. Come be fishers of men. Come be part of the story of God. And it changed everything for us. Where are we going to go? Like, just go back to fishing and trying to make enough money to scrape up to buy a new boat and get the latest upgraded one? Doesn't make sense. Jesus, you ruined us for the ordinary. We've caught a glimpse of something so much bigger. Who else are we going to serve? Where are we going to go? And see, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you and I, we've been invited into something so much bigger, so much more amazing than our tiny lives. I mean, honestly, how many of you talk about your great-grandparents very often? Like, you remember them every once in a while, usually when your grandparents are talking about them, right? If you still have living grandparents. And the hard part about this, um, but it's a good thing to realize, is in 50 years, nobody's going to be talking about you. Chances are. Now, maybe some of you, you're like, hey, I'm a teenager. Okay, maybe, maybe you know, maybe you'll, you'll do something great. In 100 years, I'll just leave it there. 75 years. For many in the room, 50 years from now, nobody's going to be talking about you. Oh, maybe you'll be a picture on something or in a genealogy and your name will be brought up. But unless, I mean, like, unless you really make it into the history books, which is pretty low on the chances, possibilities, but nobody's going to be talking about you or me, no matter how much we think we're doing right now. My name, my status, my glory, my pleasure is not worth living for and yours isn't either. See, we've been invited into an amazing and and a glorious narrative that started all the way at creation and was highlighted and brought to fulfillment when Jesus died for the sins of the world. And now you have been given an opportunity to follow the Savior of the world, to live your life for him. Is there any better way to live? Is there anything more significant you can do with your life? I think if Peter was standing here today, he'd say, I'm so glad I didn't walk away. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit put this in my heart in this moment. In the midst of my doubts, in the midst of my questions, it's so vital to ask this question. I'm going to invite Winston up. We're going to close in a song. As he comes up, let me ask you, who are you going to serve if you're not going to serve Jesus? 
Who are you going to serve? This is such a good question to remember and recognize, especially when you're entering into some kind of change in life, some kind of season of change. Maybe a new season, or you move in, you're graduating, you're retiring. Maybe it's a new temptation you're facing, a new level of busyness, a new hardship. Something that's pushing you towards crowding out your relationship with Jesus or maybe abandoning it altogether. Who are you going to follow if you're not going to follow Jesus? What are you going to do if you don't do what Jesus is calling you to do? If you don't give your life to Jesus, what are you going to give? What are you going to give it to? What are you going? Who are you going to live for? I think for so many in the room, uh, I bet if we told stories, there'd be some people like, "Man, I wish I would have thought of that question when I entered this season, when I encountered this hardship, when I found myself in this time of temptation, because it would have saved me years of regret." And there's grace. He can restore the locusts of Eden, but you never get time back, do you? Would you stand? I want to just say this verse out one time together, and then we're going to sing this song that actually comes out of this verse. Let's just start. Um, Simon Peter answered him. Let's read this together. Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God.